Good evening, and welcome back to Masks Weekly Radio Show on Family Matters. Mask mothers and fathers align saving kids, kids of all ages and all stages for all mental health struggles, including addiction. If you know somebody that needs a referral or a therapist, an inpatient or outpatient program, a parent Zoom group, please call 718-758-0400. If somebody wants to get trained and get a free naloxone kit, which is prevention of opioid overdose, call us. I'll repeat our number again, maybe it's for yourself, a loved one, a neighbor, or someone you usually would sit next to in shul. Our number again, remember, all calls are confidential. Our number is 718-758-0400. Tonight we really have a special, we have on with us again, Rebitson Malki Spira, who's always there for the mask parents, far and wide, wherever they're from. They have a struggle. Rebitson Malki Spira is always available for her clients. She's a licensed mental health counselor, and she maintains a practice, private practice, both in Toms River, Lakewood, New Jersey area, and in Brooklyn. And she addresses issues in parenting, marriage, relationships, complex trauma, and she uses, you know, a variety of modalities to help people move past their struggles and unlock their greatness. Also, we have on with us Dr. Panina Pultman. She's from Hasidish, Yiddish-speaking psychiatric PhD. A, she treats adults and children with anxiety, depression, OCD, ADHD, and psychosis. And Dr. Paltman presently works in the Borough Park area. She is uh, has worked with Dr. Rich Price, who. I mean, over 20 years, that everyone knows of Dr. Richard Price. And I really want to thank both the Rabbitson and Dr. Paltman for coming on tonight. Thank you. Hi, Rabbitson. How are you? Hello. It's so nice to be here with you, Rahama. Always <laughs> nice to have you. Hi. Yes. Hi, Dr. Paltman. And how are you? Great. It's Pina and Baruch Hashem. And how are you? Thank you for having me. Well, finally, we've been running after you with your tight schedule, overworked, Baruch Hashem, but helping so many people out there, both of you. So thank you for making the time and coming on tonight. Yes, and, and Rucham, if I can mention, um, it's the first time I'm here with Dr. Poltman, but Dr. Panina is an asset to be added to your network because when I think of the parents at math, you know, I know and I enjoy so much to work with her because from 
being from within the community, she understands both parents and children. She really, really gets it. So for me, it's just an honor to be partnering here with whatever information we can share. I think that everyone will really benefit from, from her view. Thank you. Yes, we do share some clients, Dr. Paltman and myself at MASK, and those clients are very satisfied working with Dr. Paltman. So we're really happy to have you on. Thank you. Thank you, Rahama. So tonight we are going to discuss the issues of anxiety and depression. And I know Malki, oh, Rebbitson Malki, I'm sorry, Malki. That's fine. Is it okay if I address you as Malki? Absolutely. Okay. Just yeah. So many years we have together, my apology. Um, so I know that you um, wanted to bring up a very sensitive topic. Yes. Uh, so what did you want to share with my listeners tonight? Yeah, so I thought even though we, we would like to and we will get to talking about if it's been suggested or recommended that you look into treatment for your child's for anxiety or for depression, there's something, Ruhama, that just seems to be so pressing and important for parents to hear right now there with this tragedy that's happened within the community and a tragedy from both ends, a very famous, well-known person um, having allegations of inappropriate behavior made against him. And knowing that we're not judge, jury, or executioner, we don't know what the story is, but we do know that there are many such stories. And also with children who feel connected to this person because he's touched so many people's lives with his, with his books and with his, talk, his talks in Israel, but certainly in America. I don't, I don't think there are many Jewish homes that don't have his books um, to be to know, as many of our children do, about the details of his death, dying as, as a as suicide, and the potential that has for children hearing such information, I thought it would be important, just at the top of our program, to take a couple of minutes to address this um, this tragedy from, from both of these perspectives. Yeah, this has been a horrific, horrific tragedy for the victims of molestation, painful, painful, and for family members, friends, neighbors, the worldwide. Everybody is really sh very sh shaken up about the, this news. And we all have to remember that these children that are out there, young adults, that may have anxiety and depression, which we're going to get to speak about, we need to remember that even if they were not involved with this perpetrator, their friends, or like you said, author of a book, many books, I mean, many, many books, uh, and, you know, it's something that may touch them in one way or another. And parents need to be aware of it and have the conversation. So I'm sorry, but thank you for bringing it up. I uh, appreciate you, you know, bringing it up. But um, it is just terribly sad for everyone out there. And I'd like Dr. Poulter, if she could please add to, her, to this conversation 
about your feelings on what to do in reference to open communication with molestation with children, please. Sure. Um, so the, you know, my specialty, what I do is medication. Um, but I believe very strongly that medication works very well, you know, works hand in hand with therapy. Whereas I describe medication for, in some cases, not across the board, but in some cases, especially when it comes to things like anxiety, depression, um, the medication is there to kind of soften the edges to allow, you know, therapy to penetrate and to allow therapy to actually work. So in a case where you have something like this that's rocking the community, and the first thing would be to know what to say. Um, and that is, you know, how to, how to approach the subject and how to approach this topic. And it depending also on the age of the child and how much they know, you know, inappropriate behavior means something very different to many, to many different age groups. So whichever information that the child would come to you with, with um, the, if, as far as proper guidance is, you know, the therapeutic angle to that is first and not something that would jump to medication. Oh, um, you're having worries about this and what happens and then possibly like suicidality or whatever else you heard about. Um, the first answer usually in a case like this is not medication. It would be, you know, to speak to a therapist, speak to someone who's um, knowledgeable in this field, a counselor, some, you know, someone like, you know, mask, someone who's um, well-versed in this, someone like Mrs. Spira, um, like Maka Spira. Um, so those are, you know, those are the kind of, those, that's the first approach usually, to speak to someone who could give you guidance about how to approach your child because um, you know your child best, um, but then how to kind of make it, frame it in, in a way that they would understand. And then obviously going down the line, if that's something that evokes um, anxiety in them or stronger feelings that can just be overcome with therapy or can be helped with therapy, then medication might be an option. But as a, a whole, I don't jump straight to medication of, oh, you're having anxiety about this. I would address it first in a therapeutic manner. You know, if I can jump in here for a minute, Dr. Poltman, what I'd like to ask you is, and I'm not sure if people are generally aware that often we turn to a psychiatrist or someone in that field to make a diagnosis. And just to give parents a sense of how important it is for them to be able to address issues like this directly, what would you say, how important it is, how often does this come up when you're doing um, diagnostic evaluations later on in life that you'll find that earlier on, one of the building blocks to whatever we're seeing as issues later, be it some kind of psychotic break or a bipolar expression or anxiety or depression, that leading up to it, molestation was one of the issues that, that were toxic stress and that were building blocks to whatever it is that develops later. So that's an interesting question, um, Mrs. Spira. Can I, I just want to clarify that. When you say molestation, is that something that happened to the child themselves, that they were molested, or is something that they've heard about, like what is currently happening now in our community? And I'd, I'd be curious. You know, here's something I'd love Ruhama's input as well, because she deals with that with children at risk so much. And I find that so often we find the actual molestation is something, if not processed properly at the time, when it occurs or after, if children don't feel comfortable sharing their experiences and processing it, then it seems to contribute to many issues, mental health issues later on in life. So I'm, I'm talking about the actual molestation, but, but secondary can also impact even, even feeling unsafe in the world because bad things are happening to other people. But my question initially was about when a person experiences molestation directly. 
Right, and I want to add then that what we see is many years later, kids share with their parents or their therapists or their rabbis or whomever in camp, counselors, that they were molested when they were younger and they just never shared with their parents. So they could have been molested six-year-old, eight-year-old, 10-year-old, and it doesn't come out until they're 20 and 25 and 30 years old. So yeah, it is a very big deal and that is why we're always suggesting that parents have the conversation with their children early on um, about um, let's stay safe, which um, Rabbi Yaakov Hurwitz came out with a book in many different languages, and it is about speaking to your children about staying safe and their bodies, etc. And there are many other books out there that are available, but we need to take the initiative as parents and discuss it with our children. Read it, sit and read it with your children. Not all your children together, the youngsters, but individually sit and read the book alone with each child, have conversations and bring it up again later. Don't just have one conversation, but bring it up again at a later time. So um, I, I love that, that input, Rafama, um, about what Mass does. I think it's incredible um, about the work. But um, what, what I wanted to just just note is, because Mrs. Spurrier brought up the molestation about that possibly mm -hmm. in the childhood trauma, and then later on, you know, developing something from that, is that a lot of people when they actually go to therapy because something is happening, they're not going to sit down and say, I was molested at nine years old. At, Please help me with that. They will come and they will say, I am suffering from anxiety and I don't know why. Like I have this crazy depression. I can't sleep. I can't think. The things that trigger me, I don't know. I can walk in the street and X, Y, Z. So they'll present with symptoms rather than say, oh, this is what happened to me. And then with further, re with further research um, and, and careful questioning and, and doing an evaluation, a lot of times it will come up, yes, I was touched inappropriately at some point. Yeah, but what difference does it make? And then, you know, we kind of find a correlation a lot of times between that. And that's the reason why we work with, with therapy, because medication can help and will address a lot of the symptoms that they're feeling. But um, in a large amount of time, and especially when it comes to something like this, they have to kind of get to the core root. Now, not putting medication to the side, that's my specialty, that's what I do, but that's the reason why I work hand-in-hand -hand and so closely with therapists and other um, licensed professionals so that we can get the clients the help that they need. So if, if I can jump in, it becomes so important for parents to be able to have that conversation. And what that means is you have to be comfortable enough with the topic matter yourself to really make eye contact with your child and that your whole body language communicates to your child, it's okay. This is safe between us. You won't be censured. <clears throat> Excuse me. You won't be censured for talking about this topic. I welcome you. You can share your fears with me. And if you aren't sure that you can have this conversation, go into the bathroom, stand in front of your mirror, and try it out and check your body language. Very often, if you as a child didn't have this type of relationship with your own parents, you won't have that automatic programming to be able to show up for your child like that. 
and it may be worth to talk to someone because like Dr. Panina shared with us, a lot of children won't come out and talk about their own experiences, but sometimes if we're lucky and something tragic like this happens, one positive outcome can be that a person can turn around and say, oh, wow, that happened to me too. And then you want to be prepared and know how to show up with love, with care, with a sense of presence that tells a child you're safe with me. It's okay to share this here. We're going to figure this out together. So if you feel that you can't be there for your child in that way, you really want to talk to somebody about it. Because like Ruhama says, it's a conversation every parent has to have with their children if they want to keep their children safe in the world. If, if they want to keep their child safe in a world where, where dangers like this do exist. Sadly enough, we know that. And one exciting thing I can share with you is the fact that children experience terrible things is not a direct correlation with, with mental health issues later. What is is if they can't process it. Terrible toxic stress, if processed properly, can be just dissipated, which means the system just lets it go. But if it's not processed, it sits inside. It's like a root canal. And it causes decay deeper and deeper into the child's psyche until, like Dr. Panina says, when they're adults, it comes out in so many different ways and they don't even know where it comes from. So getting educated so that you can be that safe person for your child where they can share what they're worried about might happen or what might actually have happened is so critical and crucial. And now especially if your child is depressed in a way that they might have ever kind of talked about suicide in ways that are even very oblique, like, ah, it's so hard to live. What's the point? Who cares if I'm here or not? We know that there are copycat suicides. And whenever something like this hits the news, again, as a parent, you want to be really attuned to children who you think might be touched by this and be careful that in case there's some issue that come up, rather be safe. Rather connect, contact somebody, reach out, talk to somebody who can give you guidance, then hope that it's just going to pass because it's certainly something that children might connect to themselves, might start feeling unsafe in a world where people who are so, such well-known figures could hurt vulnerable children or might feel like this is a way to take yourself out of the pain of living. So you just want to be attuned to your child and make sure that in case they need something, you're on it and you can take care of them. Thank you, uh, Malki. Very important. Um, I recommend also that all my listeners go on to Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz's website and there are so many resources there and tapes and previous trainings that one can listen to so that you can get more information on this topic. Um, before you speak to your children, get educated, buy the books, get educated, and then have the discussion. So let's go to, before we um, speak more about anxiety and depression, I just was uh, wanting you, Dr. Paltman, if you don't mind, um, just telling the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychiatric PA uh, so that people understand how you're different from going to a regular psychiatrist, please. 
Okay. So a psychiatrist is someone who has graduated medical school and then um, has had approximately three to four year residency in psychiatry. Um, and then they graduate a practice. And um, with PAs, the um, advantage that we have over, say, a different um, professional is that we have literality, which means that we can uh, join, do many different professions at the same time. If we want to do urgent care together with, say, psychiatry or do uh, psychiatry or do uh, OBGYN together with um, dermatology. Um, and that means that when we take the boards, it's on everything. So it's not just on the field that we chose. Maybe 5% of that would be psychiatry, but the rest of it would be everything else. So that added advantage is that we have to be up to you in everything. Um, a psychiatrist and a medical doctor, that is what they do uh, full-time, uh, a lot of experience. PA has uh, slightly less years of training as well, um, and PAs as a whole do not have the residency. And PAs usually work together with a, a medical doctor, and which is in this case will be a psychiatrist um, for guidance and um, for supervision as well. Thank you. So let's get to it. Uh, we don't have very much I want to really talk about when a mom or a dad gets a phone call from a seminary, from school, your daughter seems to be depressed, and we recommend she sees a psychiatrist and she be evaluated for meds. Uh, so, I mean, what, what, do, what should they start with? According to you, doctor, should they start with the therapist and then go see the psychiatrist? Or do they start with the psychiatrist and then move on to see a therapist, please? Um, so when parents get the phone call from school, um, a lot of times it's not a shocker to them, for the most part. If their kid is either acting up or they have anxiety, usually it manifests itself, not just in the school environment. Of course, there are always exceptions to the rule. But what's very scary to the parents is to be told your child has an issue or is an issue themselves, go get medication. Like for them, it's such a huge leap to from their child doing something to being put on what they call, you know, being put on meds for behavioral issues or being put on meds for anxiety and depression. That sometimes in a way it might be easier for the school to reach out to a therapist first and say, you know, how about having an evaluation over here and seeing what's going on? Again, we're not talking about in a case where the, where the, uh, where this child is acutely suicidal or psychotic or something that needs medication attention right away. We're talking about something like she's suffering from anxiety or she, we notice that she's not, she's really sad a lot of times or anything else like that. Um, it's kind of, and even psychologically, it's easier for the parents to go to a therapist. So, you know, therapy seems to be more accepted these days as opposed to like going straight to psychiatry and, and getting medication. Right. So that's what we usually suggest, of course, unless there is psychosis or any of the other diagnoses that they share. We suggest to parents that they see a therapist and let the therapist direct them. Parents are very concerned about the side effects of meds. So what would you say to parents when they are told that their child, their loved one may need to have meds? So, of course, it always depends on the age of the child and what they're going through. And then the medication is specifically, um, you know, designed for them as far as like which one we give. But a biggest advantage um, that we can have is working hand in hand with the parents, being very clear, um, saying, you know, this is these are the side effects. If there's anything like this, reach out to me and then being available when they reach out, which is a very good point as well. Now, we'll work with you. These are the pros and cons. At this point, do we think that the medication, giving medication, even though it has side effects, will um, benefit the child 
um, more than not having any medication at all. So we kind of weigh the, the pros and cons for every situation. So it's very hard to say across the board, that, oh, this is what happens, and therefore these are the side effects, so do or don't do this. We Again, each client is separate, each client is unique, and um, the treatment plan is designed for them. Right. Malki, I know that you have many clients that come into your session sharing. They don't want to walk down to the hoop on meds. Um, what do you want to share about that, please? Yeah, about therapy in general. You know, there, the research shows that 50% of Americans think that therapy is a sign of weakness. So people have a lot of hang-ups about uh, therapy and about medication. And like Dr. Penina uh, mentioned, um, what's very important and helpful for people is to do the cost-benefit ratio, cost-benefit analysis. Because you could say, well, if you're on meds, you may end up walking down to the hook with meds. Um, that would be a cost. But what would be the benefit? You may be a lot more stable. Now, what's the cost of not being on meds? Well, you may not be stable. You may not even be able to get married because you can stabilize your symptoms or your symptomology may have a really negative impact on your relationship. <clears throat> and the benefit of not being on meds is you don't have to feel like you take meds. So you really want to help them take apart the issue and be able to see why, while there may be a cost to the medication or a cost to therapy, you know, it means I have to go every week and I have to share feelings and I don't want to talk about my childhood and I don't want to talk about my parents or whatever other um, issues that the person may have with therapy, yet the benefits by far outweigh the cost. So the first thing that I probably would say, Ruhama, though, is a lot of times people say, oh, I don't want to go on medication, I'll get addicted to it. Or I don't want to go on medication, I'll be on medication for life. To help them understand that very often, like I know when I reach out to Dr. Panina, I'm going to be collaborating with her, and we say, what can she do to help bring down this, the person's discomfort, their symptoms, to the point which they, they can work with me easily? We're really trying to facilitate the working process, and once the person does their work, they can go on the medication, and at times they may be able to go off of it. So the first thing is to reassure people just because you're starting to take medication does not mean you're on it for life and you don't get addicted to psychotropic medications. Um, you can't go off them from one day to the next. There is a process of weaning yourself off of it, but they're not addictive. And the second is the benefits by far outweigh the costs. And the third is that very often if you take the medication and really engage yourself in the work and do the deep healing that we have researched and evidenced treatment modalities that can help people heal, then the likelihood is you'll go down on medication and you may be able to go off medication. And if because biologically your brain needs it, your brain needs those chemicals in order to function, then you'll at least be able to be on the least medication that's necessary. And you'll be very skilled in being able to help yourself anyway. So I think it's a concern and it's a concern that's voiced often, but if a person can be in the conversation of exploring what the truth is, they really can be helped to be soothed and to know that they'll get the best help with a therapist that's collaborating along with the doctor and go uh, the psychiatrist. And going on medication does certainly not mean that they're on it indefinitely. Thank you. Dr. Paltman, what do you want to leave? 
my listeners with what message about the importance of being evaluated, assessed, um, before, you know, struggling with a lifetime of possible depression, anxiety, all through school age years. What are the benefits if you can just, in a minute or less, what do you want to say to them? That medication is there to benefit you. It should work for you and not the other way around. Like what Mrs. Spiro was saying about being, a, you know, feeling worse that you're going to be addicted to the medication. There's a safe way of titrating up and there's a safe way of titrating off. And if you work hand in hand um, with, with a competent professional, whoever that may be, that um, hears what you're saying, understands what you're saying and works together with you, then again, medication is going to be something that's only a benefit to you. Well, thank you very much for being on tonight, and I hope to have you both on again very soon. Thank you. Yes, and Rucham, I'd just like to say once again, it was an honor to be here with you. <clears throat> Excuse me. I so, I so respect the work that you do at MASK. I know hundreds of families that have been touched and been helped, and life have been transformed because of the work that you could do because of the work that you do do. So anything that I can do to be part of it and support it, just always count me in. And thank you for giving me a chance to be part of you and the wonderful work you do in this way this evening. Thank you. And I would like to wish everyone a very good evening, a beautiful Shabbos. And always remember, hang in, hold on, and now virtually hug tight. Tonight's show Please, it's the end of the year. Consider going online. Make a donation to maskparents.org so that we could continue with all of our programs in helping the cloud. Thank you and have a good night.